There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Chanting mantras, is it a fruitful practice or a futile practice? I've got some questions to ask that need answers. Is the practice of chanting mantras a powerful means of achieving enlightenment as some claim, or is it an improper attempt at penetrating the realm of the supernatural? Most importantly, what did Jesus say about it? And is the well-known Jesus prayer just a Christian mantra? We're going to be dealing with these issues and more on this episode of Revealing the True Light. First, let me define the term. What is a mantra? A mantra is a sacred utterance, a mystical sound, syllable, word, or group of words, often in Sanskrit, that are believed by practitioners to have religious, magical, or spiritual powers. Some mantras have literal meanings, while others do not. Of course, in modern language, the word mantra can often be used to mean a motto or a statement that reveals a primary motivation in a person's life, and you hear them say it quite often. So it's been stripped of its spiritual connections in this modern-day term that it has become. However, it still applies to the religious practice. So let's visit that right now. Back in 1970, I was a teacher of yoga and meditation at four universities in Florida. I ran a yoga ashram. And in that ashram, we would be up at 3.30 every morning chanting a mantra for at least two hours, sitting cross-legged in the lotus position with our backs erect. And the whole purpose was to penetrate the spiritual realm and to become one with God or to achieve God consciousness, which of course in Eastern religions means a conscious awareness that we are God which is, of course, the antithesis of the truth. The main mantra that I was taught by Yogi Bhajan, who founded Kundalini Yoga, and of course, that was before my conversion to Christianity in the fall of 1970. But the main mantra was this, Ek Onkar Sat Nam Siri Wa Guru. Now, usually I don't like repeating those words, but for the sake of this teaching, I am going to focus the attention on those eight words, Ekonkar, Satnam, Siriwa, Guru. We would chant it over and over in a monotone way until we were mindless in the repetition of it. What do those words mean? You'll be surprised. Ekonkar means there is only one God. Satnam means truth is his name. 
and Siriwaguru means the spirit is my teacher. Surprisingly, within a biblical worldview, these three statements are actually true. However, they mean something completely different within a Hindu worldview or a New Age worldview. Let's take it line by line. Ek Onkar, there is only one God. Well, when a committed Christian makes that statement, it's an exclusive statement. It means there is only one correct revelation of God, excluding all others. And of course, in Christianity, the biblical revelation of God is that he is a triune being. There is one God. However, that one God is expressed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three centers of consciousness, you could call it, within the Godhead and a relationship between them, and yet they comprise one God. You only find that in Christianity. There is no other worldview that contains that particular insight into the nature of God. Now, when a Hindu person says there is only one God, then they mean something altogether different because they're referencing the cosmic force that fills the universe called Brahman, a level of consciousness that, according to Hinduism, brings forth a multiplicity of gods and goddesses. The traditional number is 330 million. However, the underlying essence behind all of these individual deities is one God, Brahman. Well, that's a completely different interpretation of that short statement than the Christian interpretation. So when that is chanted over and over again in this mantra, it is a repetitious way of declaring a belief in the Hindu perspective on the Godhead. And of course, there's many other slants I could bring in, but that's sufficient to show you that even though something sounds true, it may not be true. You have to understand the subtle nuances of meaning in any word or statement. Next, uh, the second part of the chant was Satnam. Truth is his name. Now, that is a name given to God in Sikhism. In Christianity, yes, we agree that truth is one of the title names of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So he identified himself as the truth. However, that's not his personal name. It is an entitlement that rests upon him. Now, Siriwa Guru, the Spirit is my teacher. Of course, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will teach us all things. But within Hinduism, it is taught that the Holy Spirit abides within every human being and that that inward indwelling of the Holy Spirit influences all of us in leading us and guiding us in life. 
In Christianity, we find the revelation that God exists externally, that he exists apart from the physical creation. And when we receive Jesus into our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes into us from without. Now, when I chanted this chant for hours at a time, I felt a semblance of peace. I felt what I thought was the Holy Spirit because it was a calming kind of spiritual influence, but it was not the Holy Spirit that I encountered once I accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit being the personal presence of a personal God, not an impersonal life force. There is a huge difference between the two. Even though those three statements are true, they encapsulate Hindu ideas that are not true according to the biblical point of view. Now, I know that may be a little bit mind-boggling for you, but you need to understand these things because as we progress in the last days, New Age spirituality is going to permeate our culture and our world more and more. And we need to be able to differentiate between the biblical worldview and the New Age worldview. Now, there is a popular mantra in Hinduism that supports the same idea I'm trying to convey. The Pavamana mantra in Hinduism goes like this. From falsehood, lead me to truth. From darkness, lead me to the light. From death, lead me to immortality. Now, that's a prayer that we can all pray. However, does it really help? Does it convince God? Does it persuade the Creator to move in our behalf and to do these three things, to take us from falsehood to truth, from darkness to light, from death to immortality, by repeating it hundreds of times, thousands of times, in a sing-song kind of way, in a monotone voice. Is that the way to approach God in that mechanical kind of way of, of inserting an incantation into a supernatural computer to bring forth the desired results? Is that the way you connect with God? I declare otherwise. God is an intelligent God. God is a very communicative and personal God. And prayer with God is a flow of conversation. It's not an attempt to manipulate an impersonal power by the right kind of words grouped together in the right kind of chant that is repeated over and over. That doesn't work with God. It would not work with a fellow human being. If you came up to me and asked to borrow a shovel, but decided you would try to be more persuasive than just asking once, so you came up to my door, knocked on the door, I opened the door, and you chanted in a monotone way a thousand times, please loan me your shovel, please loan me your shovel. By the time you get to the third or fourth time, I would have already closed the door thinking you to be insane. Because I'm an intelligent human being, and all you have to do is speak to me in an easily communicated flow of ideas. One time, I get it. 
I go to the garage, I get my shovel, I give it to you, you say thank you, I say you're welcome. I don't have to chant you're welcome a hundred times, neither do you have to chant thank you. Why? Because we're intelligent human beings. God is far more intelligent than any of us. And so we don't coerce him into moving by treating him like a machine. We communicate like he's the best friend we have. And that means a flow of ideas from the heart. Even Mahatma Gandhi, who was a, a kind of a mixture between a Hindu and a Jainist, he said it this way. He said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And I tend to believe that mantra chanting produces words without a heart because your heart's not in it. It's resonating and echoing in your mind until you get to the point of mindlessness. Actually, that's one of the goals. It's intentional that a repeated mantra will push all other thoughts out of your mind until you can focus on something mystical taking place. Well, what is the purpose of chanting mantras? Number one, in some cases, as I just mentioned, is to empty the mind of random thoughts in order to achieve focus. Number two, it can mean to summon the influence of of certain deities. And we're going to find that out in just a moment. Number three, it's supposed to be an aid in achieving enlightenment. Number four, it's a way of lifting the consciousness level of the meditator. I've even heard it said by the guru I studied under back in 1970 that chanting mantras would burn up karma so that you wouldn't have to be reborn in this continuous cycle of rebirths hundreds and hundreds of times, that actually chanting mantras could help alleviate that process to a certain degree where you don't have to pay off some of your negative karma. What about this word, this single syllable word that is chanted most often? It's the word OM. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a very popular word that quite often is chanted. What is the word OM? Why would you want to chant it? Well, it's taught that OM was the primal sound. It was the original utterance that happened simultaneously with the manifestation of the universe. When the universe manifested out of Brahman, then this resonating sound of Om went through the entire physical cosmos and still, in a sense, uh, beneath our hearing vibrates and rumbles, in a sense, uh, in the background, in the backdrop, so that when you chant the word Om, you're coming back into oneness with the origin of all things. That's the whole concept or part of the concept. Actually, it is pronounced by avid meditators in three syllables or three separate sounds, A-U-M. And they stretch it out a long time because those three sounds represent three deities. Brahma, the creator God, in Hinduism, Vishnu, the preserver God in Hinduism, and Shiva, the destroyer God in Hinduism, which incidentally is also called the Lord of Yoga. 
Shiva, the destroyer god. Mm. So when you're chanting Om, or when you stretch it out to make those three sounds, A-U-M, you're actually summoning those deities, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, to supernaturally manifest in your life. You, the meditator, are like a magnet drawing these deities to yourself by chanting the word that is representative of them. Does that have a potent effect? Well, let me explain it to you this way. When you do attract supposed false deities, they are really impersonations of deities by demon spirits that come and infect your life. They invade your soul. They come and penetrate your consciousness and begin to control you and affect you in your emotions, in your intellect, in everything about you. Do mantras achieve their purpose? Well, the repetition of a mantra does calm the mind. You can repeat anything. Say the word banana a thousand times slowly and it will calm your mind. It's not so much the practice of mantra meditation that calms your mind. It's the repetition that calms your mind. It's not some kind of spiritual thing that makes such a huge difference. Chanting mantras do not attract God, but they do attract demonic entities. Now let me ask one of the most important questions I'm going to ask on this podcast episode. What did Jesus teach about chanting mantras? Well, it must have been so important that he included it in his first main sermon, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verse 7, he said, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Now, I heard it said so many times when I was a yoga teacher that Jesus spent the years between 12 and 30 in India studying under the gurus and swamis in order to awaken his Christ nature. Well, if that were true, and it's not, but if that were true, why did he come back and say not to use their methods? That's as plain as it can be. Matthew 6, verse 7, use not vain. Vain means useless. Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. That settles the issue for me. Now, there's another important question I need to ask, though. What about the Jesus prayer? It is taught in some branches of Christianity that repeating something called the Jesus prayer dozens, hundreds of times daily, has a spiritual value that produces fruitful results. And this is the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you're supposed to not only repeat it audibly, but you can also train yourself to repeat it mentally over and over again as you go through your day. And it's supposed to gain you some kind of credits spiritually, I suppose in order to rack up hundreds of repetitions. Does that affect God? Does that do anything to persuade him to have mercy on you any more than just saying it once out of your heart? Absolutely not. That's 
Buddhist or Hindu meditation dressed up in Christian terminology. You don't have to do that. You should not do that. Talk to God like he's your friend, not like he's a computer that you're putting a formula into in order to bring forth the desired result. In fact, the guru I studied under called God the great computer. Well, that's reducing him to something far less than what he is. Now, the strongest argument I have ever heard in favor of chanting mantras came from someone who was an advocate himself. And he and I were in a friendly discussion over how efficacious it was to chant mantras. And he brought up a point that I thought was quite amazing. He took me to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, where the living creatures around the throne of God, which are cherubim, cease not day and night, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the Bible says that they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so he pointed out that that was mantra-like in being a repeated phrase. But my response to him would be this, that they were not trying to attain a mystical experience, nor to gain union with God, nor to experience God consciousness, but they were celebrating something they already possessed, full awareness of God in his manifested presence, and I don't think that this is an absolute statement where they didn't do anything else but say those words for all eternity. But I do believe it was a repeated statement over and over with a heart of adoration and worship behind it. And so I don't think it in any way is similar to the chanting of mantras. Well, I hope this episode has helped you. I hope it's helped you resolve some issues about this very important practice that many people are delving into. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You have to go through Jesus in order to experience heavenly things. A mechanical formula won't do it for you, but a yielded heart will. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.